If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll also spend just a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 17. So we're going to hang around with Brother Matt today, see what he has to say. Matthew chapter 28. The title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is Go and Tell. Go and Tell. And this week, coming up to Easter, I think a lot of Christians are, are pretty good about going out and inviting people to church or inviting people to a family dinner or that sort of thing, and I think that's wonderful. But I wish we would adopt that as our lifestyle, church, that that. That spirit of, hey, i got to get out and tell someone about Jesus. I have got to get the word out. I don't know, I didn't have the opportunity to, to go to public school. My family was homeschooled, and so all throughout my childhood, I was raised as a homeschooler. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of wonderful things that come with homeschooling. In fact, we have this unofficial greeting. Whenever you go to school, you high-five your classmates, which is yourself, so it's just that right there. So anyways, but anyways, I didn't go to public school, uh, but I did take a speech class as a junior hire, and uh, this speech class, we traveled and in competitions with other homeschool organizations, and, and uh, we had one particular semester where we went out and we delivered our speech before judges and before an audience, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I was still pretty young, and so I was very nervous. Uh, I don't get as nervous these days talking in front of people, but I did back then, but my family owned a Christmas tree farm, and so I thought, hey, I can show someone what we do on a Christmas tree farm and, and tell them the science behind growing a Christmas tree. And so I brought my, uh, all my little pot and some potting soil and some peat moss and and uh, a little bottle of water and, and a little sapling. And uh, we had some root hormone that we put the trees in to encourage them to, the saplings, to grow out roots nice and strong and healthy. And, and so I brought out this demonstration. And, and uh, I was, it was about to be my turn to, to get up in front of this crowd of people and to speak. And I was just so nervous that I drank the entire bottle of water. Um, so I didn't have any water to, to use during my demonstration, you know, to show them, you know, how to plant the tree and then how to water it. And, and so I'm about to go up and I, and I lean over to my dad. I'm like, dad, I don't have any water. And he said, well, that's okay. Just pretend. So I thought, okay. So I was in junior high, scared out of my mind. My dad tells me to go up there and pretend. And I don't make the correlation in my mind to just pretend to have water. So whenever I got up there and delivered my speech, I just pretended to plant this little sapling instead of actually doing the demonstration. I didn't open the bag of potting soil and, and pour it in. I just pretended to open the bag of potting soil and pour it in. And I pretended to do all the steps to planting this tree. And, and uh, the, the delivery of the speech was, was okay. And, and I remember afterwards, we got all of our scores and the judges critiqued as, as we spoke. The judges would write down their critique on a piece of paper. And afterwards, we would all get our critique. And I, I remember looking at it and the judge said, wonderful delivery. I just wish you would have actually done the demonstration. And I thought, man, I 
could have, I could have shown them the whole thing and just pretended to have water. Why didn't my dad tell me that? Like, I don't know. Anyways, it was a frustrating day for a young junior high kid in uh, homeschool to be put in front of a bunch of people. But what I want to share with you today is we should go and tell the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world. A world that so desperately, whether they know it or not, they so desperately crave to know the Jesus that you and I serve today. So Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Someone say all. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. Someone say all. All the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you Always, someone say always, even to the end of the age. I love this story. I love every story in the Bible, but this one is kind of special because this is post-resurrection. Next week, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's going to be wonderful. The story that we're sharing today is happening almost a week after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus comes and he tells his disciples, I've been given all authority, so go and make disciples. Here's point number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus calls you up. See, we've got a message to give to the world, but before you can give that message, you first have to meet with Jesus. He wants to call you up to another level. He wants to call you up closer to himself. He wants to meet you on the mountain. Some will say, I want to meet him there. It tells us here that the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I think so many times we just read the Bible and we just brush over little portions of uh, scripture like this. This is a really good portion of scripture, y'all. It's a really good portion of scripture. The disciples were told by Jesus, hey, go up to this mountain, and I will meet you there. Now remember, this is days after the resurrection. The disciples were craving to see Jesus, and he tells them, go and meet me up on the mountain. I'll be there. That's a wonderful thing. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain before. I'm sure if you've heard me preach before, then you've probably heard me because I use illustrations from from my adventures in backpacking and hiking. It's one of my favorite hobbies to do. My bucket list goal is to visit all 66 of the national parks in the United States of America. And I've been to 13, and I've got plans, hopefully this September, to visit number 14 up at Glacier Mountain National Park, or Glacier National Park up in Montana. It's going to be a beautiful place. I can't wait to, to go see that. But just not this last summer, but the summer before, my wife and I decided to take a trip out west to uh, Arizona and Utah, and we went to um, 
the Petrified Forest National Park and Grand Canyon National Park, and, and we ended up in Zion National Park. And it's beautiful, beautiful place. One of, it probably is the most beautiful visual of nature that I've ever experienced before in my life. It was absolutely stunning how beautiful it was up there. And, and my goal while we were there at Zion National Park was to hike a specific trail called Angel's Landing. Angel's Landing. And the, and the whole park is, is really neat in that it was uh, kind of discovered and, and, uh, and made popular uh, by some Mormons. And so a lot of the the um, features that are out there in the park are named after different biblical things. And, and so this angel's landing, it's a, a certain part of the park that's a high, high ledge. And it's very narrow and it's very high. And they named it Angel's Landing because they believed at that time in the 1930s that only angels could ever stand upon the top of this little mountain. Angel's Landing. Well, of course, the human spirit's pretty strong, and so we found a way to get up to the top, and, and there's a trail now that, that leads up to the top, and it's a very difficult trail. It's a, if you were to look it up online, they rate it as being uh, very strenuous. It's a, not a long trail, but to get up to the top is very steep, has a lot of exposure, meaning you're right along the cliff edge a lot of the time, and, and, uh, but I had seen pictures from the top looking out over Zion National Park, and it was absolutely beautiful. And so it was my goal while we were there to go up to the top of Angel's Landing. I didn't realize at the time that this is considered the most dangerous hike in the national park system. And so whenever we get there, I'm excited to go, and we, we start, and the trail just starts out really nice right along the Virgin River right there, named after Mary, and, and uh, it's just beautiful, and we're in the middle of the desert, but it's kind of like this oasis right in the middle of the Utah desert, and, and it's lush, and it's green, and, and it's kind of cool. There's a wind that blows there through the canyons, and it's just really cool, and it's a beautiful, absolutely stunning place. Tons of wildlife. We saw turkey and deer and, and all kinds of things. It was very, very pretty. And uh, we, we start up this trail. And in my mind, I'm just thinking of the view when we get to the top. But I hadn't really done as much research as I should have about the hike to get there. And so the higher up we get, the more nervous I get the more exhausted I am. And I think, my goodness, this is going to be absolutely awful. And we go up this one section of the hike called Walter's Wiggles. It's got a silly sounding name, uh, but it will kill you if you're not careful. Uh, it's a series of 21 switchbacks that go straight up the side of a cliff and by the time we got up to the top, Emily and I, we were, our bodies were just depleted. And, and I thought that once we got to the top, we would be at Angel's Landing. We got to the top, and I find out from other hikers that are coming down that we've still got almost a mile and a half left to go. And I thought, my goodness, I don't know if we're going to make it. And so we, we keep on going, though. I was determined, like, this is the hike that I wanted to go on. So I'm determined, and, and we keep going. And the further up we get, the more sketchy the trail gets. 
No longer is the, the foot trail flat, but it's kind of at an angle, and it goes at an angle for a little while, and then just sheer cliff drops straight off. Not to mention it's, the whole thing is made out of sandstone, so there's just this layer of sand on the top of the rock there, and you're, you know, you're slipping, and you know, you're trying to keep your footing, and, and, uh, and I thought, man, if this is as bad as it gets, we'll be golden. Well, it got a lot worse. And the further up you get, the narrower it becomes, and the steeper it becomes, and you begin to have to scramble over rocks, literally climbing. And, and so we want to show you a, a little video real quick. Uh, uh, this isn't me. Um, this kind of shows a little bit of the trail there. I'll get it back up. Shows a little bit of the trail there. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful country kind of goes up the canyon here. You see all those wiggles right there. That's where we almost died. Um, and then it goes up this shelf. And here's a, a view of a guy doing it. I mean, you can see why it's one of the most dangerous. People die on this trail every year just because you're on the edge of a cliff that is 1,500 feet straight down in this portion on both sides of you with less than three feet of trail to walk on. See, I didn't see this part whenever we were planning to go. Uh, I saw it as we got there. Um, and I'm not going to lie, they can keep that playing. It's just a couple minutes long. But I'm not going to lie, on the way up there, I was scared to death. But, you know, I'm a man, right? And I can't let my wife know that I'm scared of anything. I got to be tough. You know, I got to have that tough exterior. And so. I, I'm not saying a word. I'm just like, whoo, I'm tired, you know? And she, if we get to one certain part, and she's like, Sam, I'm not going any further. I'm staying right here. She said, I want you to go to the top because I know this is where you wanted to be, go and be, but I'm not going any further. You can go. You can live the rest of your life as momentary as it may be, but I'm staying right here. And part of me inside because I was so scared on the inside, y'all. Part of me, I wanted to say, well, you know what, Emily? It's okay. You know, I don't want to leave you here on the side of a mountain all alone. You know, we, we can come back. I'll, I'll do this trail another day. And in my mind, thinking, I'm never coming back here. Never. Nope. I will look at it on my computer screen, on my iPhone, but I'm never coming back here. And, uh, and so she, as she's telling me this, she's like, I will stay here. You can go on. There's another couple that was right behind us. And uh, the wife of this couple, her name is Nicole, she's like, you know what, I think I'll stay here with you. And her husband's name is Jeremiah. We had come to find out. She's like, Jeremiah, why don't you two go up and, and we'll just stay here. And my wife has never met a stranger before. She doesn't even know what a stranger is. She doesn't know that they exist. And uh, so she says, hey, this is great. You two can go up. I'll stay here with my new best friend. Hi, my name is Emily. Nice to meet you. Um, so Emily and Nicole stayed on the side of this mountain as myself and Jeremiah, and now there's another guy that's going up. So I can't be like, you know, no, no, it's okay. There's another dude going up now, so I've just got to be like, you know what, yeah, let's go, you know, woohoo. And uh, so anyways, we keep going up, and uh, the further up we get, the more my heart is pounding, the more I realize that death is at the door that this is how it all ends, that there are no survivors on this mountain. But let me tell you, when we got to the top, the view was 
absolutely incredible. And on the last leg of the journey, whenever we're, we're climbing up, other hikers are coming down, and y'all saw how narrow some of those passages where you're having to pass people and there's some chains to hold on to, but every now and then to pass people, you got to let go of the chain. And, and so it was daunting, but on the way up, there are people coming down and all of them were saying, hey, you're almost there. Don't give up. You will regret it if you don't give up. Go to the top. It's incredible. And I remember thinking, well, it's incredible only if you survive. But I'm not feeling so sure about it. But Jeremiah, he kept going, so I just kept going too. And we got to the top, and I thought, wow, this is one of those moments. You're on the mountaintop, and you're like, wow, I have a whole new perspective of what's around me now. We started out at the bottom looking up, but now I'm at the top, and I've got a 360-degree view all around me. It's absolutely incredible, and I don't know if they put it up there. There's a picture of me on the top. i got to prove to you that I made it up there because uh, I don't want to. Yeah, we made it up to the top, and uh, yeah, it was incredible. Let me tell you what. A mountaintop experience can change your life, and I want to encourage you to go to a physical mountaintop because it will change your perspective, but even deeper than that, if you in your life ever have the moment where you are spiritually on a mountaintop in the presence of God, there is absolutely nothing that compares to it. Nothing that could ever compare to it. And I love this story because Jesus tells them, he says, go up to the mountain. His disciples are obedient. They get up there to the top and it says, when Jesus came, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. It was a mountaintop moment with the resurrected Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. It gives you a perspective that you can not otherwise gain. But I want, to, I want you to notice this. It says it in, uh, I believe, verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Let me put this in perspective for you. They get to the top of the mountain Jesus had told them to go. Jesus, who had been dead, told them, go up to the mountain and I will meet you there. They go up onto the mountain and Jesus... The resurrected Jesus meets them on the mountain. And all of them, their response, as soon as it says Jesus came to them, as their immediate response was worship. Just, I, Jesus, I just got to worship. I got to worship. And I don't know what that looked like. I wish Matthew would have given us some detail on, on what that might have looked like. I can't imagine. I don't know if they were on the ground crying. I don't know if they were grasping on to his feet. I don't know if they were hugging him. I don't know if they were singing with their hands raised. I don't know what the worship looked like, but I can imagine it was incredible. The Bible tells us they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. The message this morning, it's my goal to encourage you. I want us to all leave here encouraged. Because here's what I've come to find out in my own life and through talking with other of my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
is that there are moments where we have doubt too. And there are moments where we're a little bit on the fence about some things with Jesus. See, we would all like to have this unwavering, just this ferocious desire to just have that that rock-solid faith in God. But the truth is, most of us, if not all of us, we put limits on our faith. And we have an idea of what we want to believe in God for, but at the same time, we've got this hesitancy. And, and whenever Matthew's writing this, he says they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. This word doubted comes from a Greek word, distazo, which means uncertain or hesitant. This wasn't a, a, a contented disbelief in Jesus. They're looking at Jesus and they're like, hang on, hang on. Wait a second. You were dead. And it wasn't like you just, you know, were laying on a a deathbed and just peacefully passed away. You were brutally assassinated. You, You weren't dead, Jesus. You were dead, dead. Like, dead. It wasn't good. But now you're You're here. Not only are you here, but you had the ability to walk up a mountain to get here. And just days ago, you were dead. I don't know about you, but I might would have the same hesitancy. Like, hang on a second. Am I, is that really you? And I love what Jesus does. He gives them all the same Commission, go and make disciples. It says they all worshiped, but some of them doubted, but Jesus still gave them all the same commission. This tells me that even though it's not good to have hesitancy or uncertainty in your heart when it comes to putting your faith and trust in Jesus, although you should grow and attempt to grow beyond that, Jesus can still use you, and he still loves you, and his message to you is just the same. So if you're struggling with hesitancy, if you're struggling with doubt, welcome to the club. You're in good hands. You're in the hands of Jesus. And I don't know what mountain you may be climbing, but when you get to the top, the view's going to be amazing. In my life, the hardest moments of my life have led me to a greater revelation of who Jesus is. Every single time I've, I've had to climb a mountain, spiritually speaking, whenever I've had to climb a mountain, whenever I got to the top, there's just this fresh perspective of who Jesus is. And listen, that's what he wants to do. He wants to call you to the top so that he can show you who he is. But I want you to think about this from the perspective of the disciples for just a moment. Here's Jesus in his resurrected body, Standing right in front of him, you would think that would be enough for the disciples to say, you know what, I'm never going to doubt you again, Jesus. We're solid. We're good. I will trust you always. I mean, come on. I mean, you are right in front of me. But I want to rewind for just a second. Today is Palm Sunday. 
And as the disciples are up on the mountain, less than two weeks earlier, they were with Jesus as he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt as crowds of people are lifting their hands and singing and laying their jackets and palm branches down on the road so that the donkey that Jesus is riding on doesn't even have to touch the ground. And and everyone is shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And everybody's shouting and singing and celebrating, and I wish I was there because that would have been amazing. That would have been absolutely incredible to see that. And I can imagine the disciples, Jesus' entourage, as they're surrounding him as he's on his donkey, and they're, they're hearing all these praises go up, and they're seeing such a wonderful, beautiful display of worship. I can imagine, as you probably could too, they're, they're thinking, man, this is it. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem He's about to take over, y'all. Look at these crowds. They love him. This is awesome. And and, hey, I'm one of his closest friends. I'm one of his people. Like, this this is great, man. I got a little bit of status now. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And one week later, one of the 12 Judas leads a group of Roman soldiers into the garden during the night to arrest Jesus. And the disciples, the 11 disciples, now that Judas has betrayed them, they're willing to fight for Jesus to the death. Says that even Peter, he pulled out his sword, and he wasn't just, you know, poking around. He swung at a dude's neck. Ends up chopping off his ear. He was, a, he was a lousy fighter, I guess. I don't know. I wouldn't want him to be my personal bodyguard, but he had the guts in him to at least stick up for Jesus, right? And, and what does Jesus say? He says, lay your weapons down. And the disciples, all of a sudden, they get real scared. And they run. And they're not even there to see Jesus through his trial or through his execution, save but one, that's John, who, who the Gospels describe was at the cross whenever Jesus was on it, but it has no mention of any other disciples being there. They had run, they had fled, they were scared for their lives because, hey, I had been with Jesus. I was part of his entourage, and the, you know they're all celebrating us as we're coming into Jerusalem, and now they're trying to kill us. And Jesus gets put on trial, and, and they're there with Pilate, and Pilate says, who do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd shouts, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. In one week's time, the crowd is celebrating and worshiping Jesus, and now probably many of that same crowd have their fists in the air chanting, crucify him. Imagine being one of the disciples in that moment. And you're like, man, I, what do I do? What, what, where do I go now? Like, what, what's happening? And you know, we thought this was awesome a week ago, and now, hey, I, I don't want to be anywhere close. Get me out of here. 
They're running for their lives. And then they hear that Jesus died on the cross and his body was taken down and put in a grave and it's still there. And, and the disciples, they gather together and they're, they're wondering, man, just a week ago, this was great. And now I'm second guessing my life. Did I make the right choice? Like, I gave up my career to follow this man. I left my family at home to follow him around and minister with him. I put in my life savings to this. I gave everything I had. I sold my boat. I left my nets. I told my dad goodbye. And I went and followed this man, and he's dead now. Like, I thought this was going to end so much differently, but where do I go from here? I think a lot of times we look at the, the people that we read about in the Bible and we think, man, they could have done so much better. Why didn't they just have more faith? But we have to remember that these were real people too. And if we're being honest, we, we could admit that we're a little bit more like the disciples the night of the crucifixion than, than we would want to be. And they think, man, what do we do next? And they're all gathered in a room and... They're probably trying to figure out a game plan. Hey, these people, they want to kill us now, so where, where do we go? What do we do? What did Jesus say? Like, did, did he give you any, any kind of information about what to do after this happened? Like, I don't know. I heard something about a temple, and, and after three days, he was, he was going to rebuild the temple, and I, I don't know. There's just something. John, did you hear anything? I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, ask Matthew. He, he, wrote a, you know, he wrote a bunch of stuff down when Jesus was talking, and, and they're, they're just, just trying to sort out what to do. What do we do from here? We don't know what to do with the information we have. And I can imagine they're, they're there in the room, and all of a sudden, let me in, let me in, let me in. And they open the door, and there's Mary Magdalene. And it's Sunday morning. And she's out of breath. Oh, my goodness. Hey, oh, I got something to say. Y'all got to listen to this. Hey, I went to the tomb. I went to the tomb, and, and it was open, and I was, I was scared. I thought, you know, what's going on? What, did they come to take his body? And, and there was someone there, and, and it was kind of looked like a man, but I don't know. There's something about him. It's just different. And he said, hey, what are you looking in a graveyard for? If you're trying to find someone who's alive, Jesus isn't here. He's alive. And, and, and I can just imagine she's out of breath, and she's telling the disciples, they're like, wait, What? What are you talking about? And the Bible tells us Peter and John, they run, they hightail it, they leave. At that point, I don't care who knows where, if, who knows where I am. I don't care any of this. I don't, I don't have to hide. I heard that Jesus might be alive. I'm going. And so they run over to the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and they look inside, but no one's there. And they come back and like, man, I, uh, like, I want to believe that he rose from the grave, but like, where's the proof? Like, I don't know what to believe in. And they're struggling with this. Like, I've got a glimmer of hope, but no one comes back from the dead. But Jesus did raise the dead, but he was alive whenever he did it. And if he was dead, how could he raise himself? And, and they're going back and forth with this uncertainty. They're going back and forth with this confusion and this hesitation. And if we're honest, we could tell everybody else that, hey, I've got those same thoughts too. Like, I believe that God can do anything, but why is my marriage suffering? I believe that God could do anything, well, why isn't my child healed? I can believe that, that God can do anything, so, so why are we still fighting wars? 
I believe that God could do anything, so why do we have to worry about a virus? Why do we have to worry about cancer? Why do I have to worry? And in each one of this, there's this little hesitation to just fully give our complete trust to Jesus. And they get word. Jesus says, hey, go up to the mountain. I'm going to meet you there. And the disciples go up to the mountain. And then finally, as they're standing around on the top of the mountain, just waiting around, they see this figure coming up the trail. It's closer and closer. And then he looks up. And then you can just imagine they see the face of Jesus. And they're like, oh, man, it's really him. Either that or he had a twin that he did not tell us about. (laughs) Jesus gets closer. And then I can just imagine, just because I've got this mental perception of Jesus, I can just imagine Jesus just comes up and he's like, oh, hey, guys. Just as calmly and friendly and normal as, as he ever was. And I can just see the disciples running and just falling at his feet crying and worshiping. And they're like, it's really him. And Jesus begins to talk, and they're like, man, his eyes are open, and his lips are moving, and he's, he's looking at me right now. And I can see his, his chest expand and contract as he breathes and as he, as he speaks, and I can touch his hand, and it's warm to the touch. And th- Could it really be that Jesus is truly alive? And they're worshiping, but in the back of their minds, some of them are like, man, like, I, I mean, he's in front of me, but I heard the stories about what happened. And I can see the nails in his hands, like, it, this doesn't make sense. And in that moment, when all of them are worshiping and at the same time struggling with their hesitancy, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Now I want you to notice, he says, go and make disciples. Go into all the world. Go to all the nations. The same world that just put me on the cross and killed me. Go into that world and teach them all the things that I have commanded you. You know, the things that I had been teaching that got me killed. Yeah, go into that world and preach that same message. And I can imagine the disciples are like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Jesus, we've been hiding. Like, I, you know, I can imagine Peter, he's the only one speaking up. You know, Jesus, listen, the, the guys don't want to admit it, but we've been hiding. Ever since you've been out, we've been hiding. And Jesus is like, I don't want you hiding. I want you to go into all the world. So I love this. The disciples, when they see Jesus, it says they worshiped him even though they doubted. Can I encourage you with something? If you've struggled to put your full faith in Jesus, can I encourage you to worship anyway? To worship through your doubt? Because we've got a church, oh, we have got a God that is worthy to be worshiped. Worthy to be worshiped. That word worthy means you're you're placing worth in him. You're, you're, You're assigning value to him. Listen, there is no one who who is more valuable or more worthy to be worshiped than our king, 
King Jesus. And even though you may be struggling with some doubt in here, I want to tell you that he can understand why. Because life is tough. But don't stop worshiping. Worship anyway. Worship through your doubt. Because Jesus will call you up. But here's point number two. Jesus sends you out. They came up onto the top of the mountain, the mountaintop moment with Jesus. He called them up. And I can just imagine whenever they see him, they're like, man, I don't want to go anywhere else. I just want to stay right here with Jesus. This is, this is where my heart is. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where life is. It's with Jesus. I just want to stay right here. And in fact, this wasn't the first time the disciples had experienced a mountaintop moment with Jesus. If you'll flip over to Matthew chapter 17, in verse 1, I'm telling you, Jesus is, is my kind of man. Because it says, verse 1, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Jesus was constantly hiking these mountains, y'all. I would have Man, I would have loved to have been there. That's, that's my man and my element. That's just, that's it. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Let's put on the brakes for just a second. Y'all, this is no small thing that just happened here. This is crazy. Jesus said, hey, Peter, James, John, y'all come up with me. Let's go, let's go up the mountain. Let's go up the mountain. The Bible says to be alone. So they go up the mountain. And whenever they get there, Jesus' entire complexion is changed. His clothes go from being dusty and whatever color they were to being as bright as light. And through the gospel, some of them say they couldn't even look on or, or no man could bleach them as white as they were. I mean, we're talking of something incredible just happened. And as they're looking, Moses and Elijah suddenly appear. And in case it's been a while since you've read your Bible, Moses and Elijah have been dead for a very, very, very long time. And all of a sudden they appear and they're standing with Jesus and Peter, James, and John can see them with their physical eyes. So let's look and see what happens here. Peter exclaimed, verse 4, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, well, only if you want, Jesus, I'm just completely up to you. Jesus, this is your call, you know. But if you want, Jesus, I'll make shelters as memorials, one for you and one for Moses and, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud, which is pretty cool because bright cloud is kind of a paradox. I mean, clouds aren't usually bright. They usually make things darker. But here's a bright cloud, and it overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples, they were terrified and they fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them. He said, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. So Jesus' entire appearance just changes. And, and Peter says, Jesus, listen, it's good that we're here. This is, this is code word. Peter used a lot of code word. This is a code word that Peter used for, hey, Jesus, let's just stay here. 
This is a great place to be. Like the very presence of God is here. And how many of us, church, ooh, this is where it kind of steps on your toes maybe a little bit. How many of us, we want to be in a service where the presence of God, the Holy Spirit just come and he just settles and dwells and, and we experience that presence of God and we just say, man, it's, it's good that I'm here. Jesus, it's a good thing that we are here. In fact, let's just stay right here. But I want to show you what Jesus, what Jesus did. Verse 7, it says, Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, don't be afraid. And then verse 9, As they went back down the mountain, as they went back down the mountain, here's what I've discovered in my hobby of, of backpacking and hiking. I've discovered that mountaintops are wonderful places to visit, but nobody lives there. Nobody lives there. And Jesus, he wants to bring you up to a higher place, a more intimate place with him, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to come back down the mountain with the anointing and with the presence and with the power of the Holy Spirit because there is an entire world at the foot of that mountain that's dying and going to hell. As a Christian, let me go ahead. Pick your, you might want to pick your feet up off the ground. As a Christian... If you are comfortable in your relationship with Jesus, it's probably because you are not making disciples. Wow, I'm going to say it one more time. If you are comfortable in your relationship with Jesus, you probably shouldn't be because you're probably not making disciples. Because here's what I found out as a youth pastor. It's that making disciples is a messy business. And it's tough. And it's tiring, and it's exhausting, and people get weird, and, and things are said that you're just like, man, I'm not sure if you should have said that. And, you know, you, you feel like people take advantage of you, and, and you, you put money and resources into different places that aren't necessarily your physical responsibility on this earth. And, and you pour into the lives of people, and you build relationship, and you come alongside people, and maybe you have to get involved with a family affair that's not your own. And, and disciple-making, it's messy business, church. But please hear me. God has not called us up onto the mountain into his presence so that we can stay there. But he equips us and empowers us there to send us back down. To send us back down. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 19. Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, I've heard pastors say this over the years. It's kind of funny, but I think it's fitting. If you read in the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to know what it's there for. I'll say it again. If you look in the Bible and see the word therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Jesus says, 
I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. And many of us, we, I mean, if you're like me, this great commission right here, this is what we call the great commission in Christian circles, this great commission is, is kind of a daunting thing. Like Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to go out and make disciples. And you're looking around, and the, I can imagine the disciples are looking around, and it's the 11 of them and Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you couldn't even keep 12 of us together. You know, how, what am I going to do going out and making disciples? Like, we were a mess for you. I, um, imagine me going out and making disciples. But I love what Jesus tells them. He says, I have been given all authority. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Most Christians never even make it a point in their relationship with God to go out and share the good news about Jesus. Most Christians never even try their hand at evangelizing. And I can imagine it's because to most of us, we're looking at our own lives and thinking, God, I messed up. Like, I'm, I don't know that you want me to go and make disciples. Like, I'm still trying to sort out my own stuff. And Jesus says, listen, it's not your own authority that'll do it anyway. It's not your own ability that will get it done anyway. It's not your own skill. It's not your own passion that's going to make it happen anyway. I have authority, and I am commissioning you. I am sending you out, not with your authority, not with what you can make out of it, but I'm sending you out with the authority of Almighty God. I'm sending you out being baptized in the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. Can I encourage you? Yeah, I told you, I want you to leave here encouraged. Listen, you can make disciples. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a paid pastor or Sunday school teacher or an evangelist that travels the world or a missionary. You can be you and make disciples. Notice this. The disciples there, all of them are worshiping. Some of them are doubting. And Jesus tells every single one of them, hey, your job is to go and make disciples. And I love this because this isn't the good suggestion. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus isn't saying, hey, listen, if you want to be a good Christian, you know, if you want to make the Father really happy, then, uh, you know, hey, you should maybe make some disciples. No, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, hey, listen, I have the authority here. You go out and make disciples. As a father... Sometimes one of my sons will come to me after I've given them something to do. And being children, they're, they're trying to figure out how much they can get away with and what they can do. And, and they'll test you. If, if you've been a parent and you've, you've seen this too, I know for sure. But they'll test you on it. And my parents, I would go to my parents and say, Mom, why? Dad, why? You know, why can't I go out with my friends tonight? And my parents had this phrase that I absolutely hated. I'm sure you've heard it too. Because <laughs> let's be if you can remember that far back and if you want to be honest today, can you raise your hand and just say that that used to burn you up? I hated that. 
Listen, I, when my parents would say that, I would get so upset. And as a rebellious, loudmouth teenager, I would test them on that. That's not a good reason. Why did you say so? You know, and my parents, they wouldn't ever give me that. They'd just say, hey, listen, all you need to know is that I said so. And I hated it. And I told myself as a kid, if I ever have children, I will never tell my children because I said so. How many of y'all want to guess that that phrase has exited my lips before? Son, because I said so. And I, I've, I still remember being a kid and hearing that just thinking, oh, you know, just made me so frustrated. And so I do try. As a parent, I do try. Anytime they come up and say, hey, you know, why not? I try to give them an explanation. Well, because it's going to hurt you. Well, because if you do this, you won't be well rested. If you, you know, and I try to give them an example, but if they keep testing you and testing you on it, sometimes you just got to say, hey, all you need to know is because I said so. I'm the dad. You're the son. I said so. Can I? <laughs> Listen. You better go and make disciples because he said so. As a Christian, it's not just a suggestion. Jesus, he put the disciples in their place. He said, hey, listen, I want you all to know, I have all authority here in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And some of us, we get so caught up in, I just don't know if I'm qualified. I, I don't know if, you know, I, I don't know enough of the Bible. You know, if, if someone comes to me with a question, I don't know what to say. And if the worship team would come on up, we get caught up in, you know, I just don't know what to do. Look, can, I, can I encourage you? Can I try to make this a little bit easier for you? How many of you have ever driven a car before? Just go ahead, raise your hand, raise your hand, and look around at people. If you've driven a car, please raise your hand. Hold, hold it hold it up, hold it up. Come on, y'all don't be scared. Y'all listen, I'm a children and a youth pastor here. Y'all work with me. All right. How many of you have been to mechanic school? Y'all, I know almost nothing about anything mechanical. But I drive a car every single day. And some of you parents are crazy enough to trust me with your children in my vehicle as I'm driving. I've never been to mechanical school I can give you some kind of idea of how a car works in ways, but if you were to open up a hood and point to something and be like, what's that right there? I would say, man, that is a comforter defibrillator. A what? I said, that's a comforter defibrillator. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I still drive a car. How many of you have ever helped your child with homework? And how many of you have a teaching certificate? <laughs> how many of you have ever given your spouse or, or your child or yourself some Tylenol if you had a headache? And how many of you have gone to medical school? <laughs> Listen, you don't have to be a professional Christian to make disciples. Here's two qualifications that Jesus had that day on the mountain when he gave his, the disciples the commission to go, there's, there's two qualifications. First qualification is you need to know Jesus. 
If you're going to make disciples, you need to know Jesus. The second qualification is you have to be breathing. And the third qualification is see qualification one and two. That's it. Just know Jesus and have breath in your lungs and be willing to make that breath come out with words and use your, your body for actions that show people the love of Christ. Be willing to come along somebody to develop and build relationship with them. Listen, disciple, it doesn't say go and make converts. It says go and make disciples, teaching them all the commandments. In other words, don't, don't just go and, and just make converts, but build a relationship with someone. Walk alongside someone as they are going through hell on earth. Make it your goal to come alongside someone and say, hey, I may not have all the answers. I don't have all of my life figured out, but I'm willing to come along beside you and get in the word of God with you, and we can become disciples together. Maybe I've got something you can glean from me. Maybe you've got something I can glean from you, but together we are going to make disciples. You don't have to have it all figured out. Some of them, the disciples were doubting. They're standing right in front of resurrected Jesus. And some are like, man, I still don't know what to do with this. And Jesus says, I can tell you what to do with it. Go and make disciples. Church, can I plead with you? Can I plead with you? On Jesus Christ's behalf, can I plead with you? The time is so short. There is not a lot of time left. And it's not hard for a believer or unbeliever to be able to look at what's going on in our world and see that there is not much time left. And as believers, spirit-filled, faith-filled believers, not only is it our opportunity and our privilege to make disciples, but it's a commandment from God to go and make disciples. Here's the best way I can tell you to do that. Because you might still have some hesitancy. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know, really, I don't want it to be awkward. I don't know what to say. This is one of the best things you can do is just start a relationship with someone. If you would stand up to your feet. I want you to this morning, and you're welcome to, to come to the altar at any time. But I want to welcome you or encourage you this morning to take a moment today, this morning, and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you put someone on my heart right now that I could share the gospel with? Give me a name or show me a person that I can come alongside and build relationship with and make disciples. Church, that may be, it may be your barber, your hairstylist. It may be your neighbor. Maybe someone that you see at the gym. I don't go to the gym, so it's definitely not that person for me, but... <laughs> Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's an old friend that 
that you just started thinking about this week that you hadn't thought about in a long time? Listen, God's heart is that every believer would go and make disciples. And if you're hesitant, again, I don't want you, I don't want you to go away feeling scared to do it. I want you to be encouraged. If you're hesitant, ask someone that you know and say, hey, I've got someone on my mind. Could you help me disciple them? Here's a fact. I can tell you this as a fact. If every single person in this room today discipled one person this year, Calvary Tabernacle would grow by 100%. And if every Christian on the face of this earth made it their goal with the rest of 22 to make one disciple, we would see the kingdom grow at a rate that it has never grown before. Church, we can push back the gates of hell and flood the gates of heaven with the souls that God created and so desperately loves and desires. I think it was Charles Spurgeon, I I don't remember, but I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, if our God is not worth sharing, I don't want him. (laughs) Come on. If our God is not worth sharing, I don't need him. But the reason you're here today, I imagine, is because you know that there's something you need. And it's found in Jesus. And if you need him, then trust me, there's plenty others that do too. So just this rest of this morning as we worship together, I want to encourage you, if you want to come to the altar for any reason, you can come. We want to pray for you. If you have any need, we want to pray for you. But I want to challenge you today specifically to think of one person that you can build relationship with and make a disciple of today. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for your promise. You told the disciples towards the end of this conversation, you said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I have given you. And know this, I will be with you always to the end of the age. God, we thank you for that promise that you haven't left us to go out and try to figure all this out on our own, but your promise is that for those that go and make disciples, that your presence, the presence of the living God would go with them. And God, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm willing to go. I'm willing to make disciples because if for no other reason than just knowing that your presence will be with me, God, I want to live this life in your presence. And I pray that this would be the most evangelistic church that this corner of Texas has ever seen, God. That we would be a people with boldness and courage and passion 
to go out as you have said and to make disciples, to lay our hands on the sick so that they should recover, God, to walk out your word with them so that they can be saved and healed and delivered and freed and transformed. God, I pray that the rest of the United States would turn their eyes towards this area and say, what's going on there? Because something's different. Something's happened over there. Something's changed over there in East Texas. God, I pray it's not too big of a prayer for us to pray that you would do the miraculous in this area. And God, we're just saying, hey, we may not have it all figured out. We may not have all the right ideas. We may not have uh, every, every corner of theology figured out, but we're willing. We're ready. And we're open. And we want you to move in our hearts. So give us the courage. Give us the boldness. Give us your words so that we can make disciples out of a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, let's worship together. Let's worship.